Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to church, everybody. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford. Uh, We're excited that you're joining in with us today. I hope you have an opportunity to sit with your family, that you would find this word uh, encouraging. We're continuing on in our series called Family Tree. Uh, In the last few weeks, we've really tried to focus on uh, the generation that follows us. Um, We've talked about our kids. We've talked about parenting. um, We've talked about how to come alongside younger people, uh, kids specifically, even if they're not your own. Uh, Ways to volunteer. You're single and you have friends with kids and that sort of thing. And this week, we actually get an opportunity to talk uh, a little bit more about how it is indeed our responsibility to prepare the next generation uh, regardless of your age and regardless uh, of who you are. And this is a difficult one because what this requires of all of us is acceptance of change. Now, we all know that change is difficult. Change is actually incredibly hard. It's one of the most difficult things we can do. But we also know change is one of the most inevitable things that there is. And so today we're going to talk about the necessity for change uh, in order for the younger generation to be able to lead. There needs to be a consistent kind of handing off of the baton like in a relay race. And I'm sure there's many of you who have been carrying the baton of church, of church leadership, uh, for a very long time, maybe specifically in our church, maybe just uh, in, in churches that you've been a part of in the past and that sort of thing. And thank you for carrying it well for those of you who have done so. But there's other people who have listening uh, who have yet to pick up that baton. And still even beyond that, there's other people uh, who have been trying to hand it off to others for years. You know, the truth is that we all have a part to play in making, making sure that we continue to run the race well as a church and as a family. Uh, because beyond just the church, most of us have kids, and not young kids necessarily, but all of us have kids. We have kids, maybe you have grandkids, even great-grandkids. And as we continue to, to pursue Jesus, we need to be getting ready to hand that baton off at full speed to them. You know, one of the things that that uh, I have said in the past is that even if I go down in history as the worst pastor (laughs) ever, the worst pastor ever, the worst pastor uh, uh, that no one were were, were to come to faith as long as I'm a pastor, no one grows under the knowledge of the Lord as long as I'm a pastor uh, under my care, but my kids walk away with a sound faith in Jesus, then I will have considered my life a success. Because the most important thing to me is the generation coming after me and specifically those that I'm responsible for uh, under my roof. And your response, if you're lucky, if you're lucky enough to have kids and grandkids of your own, should be the same. You should think the same exact thing. Your mission field begins with your family loving Jesus. You know, and I'm already figuring out ways to try to hand off this baton to my kids, allowing them to pray, uh, teaching them to be grateful for what God has given us in the first place. I want my kids to accept this baton from me at full speed so I can focus on providing wisdom and focus on providing clarity for them when they're raising families to love Jesus as well. That's my goal as a dad for them. That's my goal as a spiritual leader of our family. You know, we are at a full sprint 
towards the end of our lives, whether we like it or not. So it's our responsibility to hand off that baton and hand off the baton well. The Bible even tells us that in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are at a full sprint towards the end of our lives. But I want you to know it's not just any race that we're talking about here. This race is a relay race. God is not only concerned about how you run. He's not just concerned about how I run. He cares just as much about the runners who are coming after us, who will take our baton and run the next lap, the runners of the next generation. You know, the relay race that God has us running began a long time ago with Adam and Eve. Okay, and then Adam and Eve who pass their baton on to their kids, then they pass that baton on to their kids, and so on and so on. And it is a race that is still not yet finished. And who really knows whether kind of this race of salvation history will end with our generation, right? Jesus may not come back by the time that I'm dead. And so if that's the case, it's my responsibility to be able to make sure that the next generation has that baton firmly in hand and can sprint as quickly as they can. We have to continue to have a long-term vision in mind when it comes to faith. And my generation better learn from the generation that came before us. We had better remember what happened to previous generations in times past. The Bible is full of examples. It's full of examples of glory days of blessing and fruitfulness whenever a generation kind of received proper training from the previous generation. But the Bible also has stories uh, of a generation experiencing spiritual defeat and decay because the parents and the leaders of a generation before them neglected to train their offspring for, uh, for their turn to run the race. One such example we look at is in Judges chapter 2. Uh, and it's a lot of text, so follow along with me, but it's Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. When it says when all that generation had been gathered to the fathers, it means when all of that generation had died off. Another generation, so another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashereths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whether they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. 
One thing that we can pull from this, an important thing that we should pull from this text is simply this. There's no guarantee that the next generation will follow your lead. There's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. Regardless of where we live, regardless of our religious freedoms, regardless of all of those things, there is no guarantee that the next generation is going to follow your lead. It doesn't just naturally happen. Judges 2.8 actually says that. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Okay, so the servant of the Lord died. All of us are going to die sooner or later. It's simply going to happen. Jacob died. Joseph died. Moses died. Hey, if you haven't figured it out yet, you're going to die if the Lord doesn't come back at some point uh, before then. We're all going to die. But the good news is that the death of a godly man or the death of a godly woman doesn't have to be the death of a vision. It doesn't have to be the death of our worship of God. In fact, if we have been running our race correctly, we will have raised up people younger than us to whom we can hand the baton. And they, in turn, will not only run well, but most likely they can run further than we did because we gave them an excellent start Already, But history proves that, that this good news scenario is more often kind of the exception rather than the rule. Even though Moses was a great leader and didn't fumble the baton when he passed it to Joshua, soon after Joshua died, his contemporaries, the other elders who remained alive for a short while after Joshua's death, fumbled the baton badly. And I would actually venture to say that Joshua did as well because Joshua never named a successor. He simply left it in the hands of the elders. And so the elders fumbled it. In turn, Joshua also fumbled it. It tells us that in Judges 2.7. It says, so the people who served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the elders who outlived Joshua. But then we read in verse 10 here, when all that generation, i.e. the generation of the elders, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. All it took was one generation. All it took was one generation, somewhere between 40 and 100 years, however you want to quantify a generation. It doesn't tell us specifically, but somewhere between 40 and 100 years. And we see that the children, the offspring of that generation that had been blessed, the offspring of that generation who had been privileged to enter the promised land, already forgot who the God of Israel was. I mean, it actually tells us that another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done in Israel. I know it's so hard to believe that, that such a tragic fumbling of, of honoring God, such a tragic fumbling of that baton could have happened. I mean, there's an, a, an incredible amount of stories from this time period. You know, you would hope that, that, you know, if we were living in the time of the Exodus, right, when God goes before the Israelites and he walks them across the Red Sea on dry land, um, uh, as, as there's tons of like miraculous provisions that happen with manna from heaven, with signs and wonders, great military victories, that these events, if we were living them, we would think, man, these are important enough for us to be able to pass on to our children. But that's simply not what happened. They got lackadaisical with it. They forgot to teach the next generation how to follow the Lord. The Lord and his mighty works were virtually unknown to the next generation. It's hard for us to believe 
that the younger generation who's coming after us could ever walk away from the Lord that we love and serve. That's a difficult thing for us to to grapple with because for so many of us, we think to ourselves, man, this is central to who I am. This is central to what I believe. Man, we go to church every Sunday. And right now, granted, going to church means walking from your bedroom to your couch, but still, we go to church every single Sunday. And our kids know, like, we we did the Wednesday night kids thing and we're involved in a small group and all of those different things. Like, our kids should know all of these things, but if we aren't careful... The same thing that happened then could happen now. Our children, our students could easily easily miss out on experiencing God unless we successfully pass on that baton. The next generation uh, may not only lose the race, but the next generation could become completely and totally disenfranchised with God in general. So what are we doing? What are you doing? in order to pass on that baton to the next generation. How do we even do it? Because for me, I know I hate giving up control, right? Maybe you're like me. You're the person who always has to have the remote in his hand, person who always has to control the thermostat. I'm looking at you dads in the room, right? Whatever it may be. But for me, I know I don't like giving up control. If I give up control, that means it's not going to be done the way I want it to be done, and it's going to be a worse product than I would put out. And so because of that, I want to seize control, and I don't want to give it away to anybody else. I don't want to hand that baton off oftentimes because that means I no longer have control over how that baton is being run. And we all think that to an extent. And because of that, we hold on to that baton even tighter than we should, thinking it can't get better than what I am currently doing. There's no possible way it could ever be better than what we're currently doing. What happens when we do that is we strip the younger generation of responsibility and we won't allow them to use the spiritual gifts that God has laid out for them in the first place. That's an incredibly humbling thing. We need to recognize it's, it's our responsibility to prepare and empower those coming after us. It's not their responsibility to take it from us. It's our responsibility to hand it off cleanly to them as they have an open hand waiting for it. There's a partnership here that has to happen. So how do you do that? I think, I think one of the biggest things we have to recognize is we have to be willing to give away responsibility. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, every single pastor at some point in their life has to preach their first sermon. I know, it's weird. My first sermon, the first time I got an opportunity to preach, I had just graduated high school or I was in the process of graduating high school or something like that. And my youth pastor came to me and he was like, hey, look, uh, we're going to do like the senior service thing and I I think you should preach. I wasn't necessarily scared of public, you know, public speaking or anything like that, but preaching from the Bible and making sure that I wasn't a heretic and all of those things were, I mean, pretty, pretty terrifying to, to somebody who grew up in a conservative Baptist church. Like, that's a scary thing to be able to do. And so I went, I preached, I did it. Uh, I was probably heretical in some way. People probably fell away from the, I don't know if that's true, but I'm sure it was terrible, yeah, because it was the first time I ever preached. But he was willing to hand me that responsibility. He was willing to call something out in me that I didn't necessarily see, necessarily see in myself. And because of that, I was able to taste for the first time the spiritual gift of teaching that I have. Why? Because he was willing to give away that responsibility. And when you are willing to give away responsibility, you inspire the next generation to be able to go further than you have been able to go. 
So don't always talk about the good old days. I think there's a time for that. But don't always be dwelling on the good old days and what we've been able to do. And, oh, remember when we did that. There is a time and a place for that. But if that's all that you're dwelling on, then you're going to miss out on the opportunity to talk about where we could go if the next generation is faithful to God. We're going to miss out on that. Because if we don't give the next generation a seat at the table, if the next generation, if they don't have the same buy-in that we do, they will be swayed by other things, swayed by other people, swayed by other ideologies. It says that, it reminds us that in verse 11 and 12 of our text. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And what did they do? They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. They started listening to other people because they hadn't been trained properly. They hadn't been given a seat at the table maybe. They hadn't been appointed by, uh, uh, by the elders. They hadn't been appointed by Joshua. And so because of that, what did they start doing? They started listening to other people and other gods and other ideologies, and they just simply fell into those things. If we aren't careful, those things are going to happen. I think the previous generation assumed that because they had seen the power of God, because the older generation had seen the power of God, that, that their sons, that their grandsons, that their daughters, that their granddaughters would walk in the same way that they did as well. They just assumed it was going to happen. That's foolishness. And if that's our assumption, the next generation is going to be far from Christ. And that's scary. And maybe a good way to be able to illustrate that is, the, you know, I love baseball uh, whenever it happens again. Uh, I, I love baseball a whole lot. And uh, I want my sons to love baseball as well. Now, maybe it's just simply following the greatest uh, sports franchise in the world, being the San Francisco Giants. Um, or maybe it's playing baseball or whatever. I just want them to enjoy baseball because I enjoy it. Like, that's just something that I enjoyed as I was growing up. But if all I ever do is take them to watch me play softball or uh, simply me go to a game and just tell them about the game when I get back or anything like that, and I never give them a chance to pick up a bat to pick up a ball, to put on a glove, they're never going to love the game. Because all it was was something that dad was passionate about, not something that they ever got a seat at the table for. Are we giving room at the table? Are we even relinquishing our own spots at the table for those who need to be given the opportunity to fall in love with Jesus in the first place? And that's a hard conversation. That's hard to recognize that there is a new phase happening in your life, that maybe you're at a point in your life where you say, hey, look, I've had, a seat, I've had a seat at this leadership table for a really long time, but I've done my responsibility, and now the most important thing that I can do is relinquish my seat at the leadership table and give it to the next generation. And now your responsibility becomes walking beside that person as they have a seat at the table, coming alongside of them, encouraging them, loving them, praying over them, speaking truth over them, giving them wisdom and discernment, something that they're usually lacking when they're young. What are you doing to be able to do that? And how maybe, how do you do that? How do you take responsibility for them loving Jesus? Well, it's simple. We take responsibility by teaching the next generation well and allowing them opportunities to both grow and fail. I think we get so concerned sometimes 
was saying, hey, with, with the control factor, saying, hey, no, if, if I let go of this, something's going to fail. I am so grateful for so many different people in my life who have allowed me to fail. Because if I wouldn't have failed, I wouldn't have been able to get better. I wouldn't have been able to run farther and harder. To give practical instruction to parents as well for others who kind of join in, in, in this task on how to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Like we, we need to win this race. So now that I've kind of sounded the warning about how easy it can be to fail in bringing up our kids to know the Lord, I want to give some, like I said, some practical instructions maybe as well as those to, to, to parents, as well as to others who are called alongside to help parents in the task of raising their kids to know the Lord and win the race. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. You know, I could point to a number of things that we should do, such as setting a personal example. We talked about that for the last two weeks for our kids. Disciplining our kids, right? Uh, expressing our love to our kids, praying for our kids. We talked about that last week. All of these things are vital. And all of these things are biblical, but rather than just kind of scratching the surface and dealing with all of these good things, I want to confine myself to just two things that come out of our text in Judges chapter 2. The first thing we need to make sure for our kids uh, to know the Lord is to teach them God's word. We read that in, in verse 10 when it says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation rose after them who did not know the Lord. Why didn't they know the Lord? Because no one taught them the word of God. No one taught them about what God had done in their lives. One of the keys to coming to know the Lord is knowing his word. If you're feeling distant from God, read his word. Read the scriptures. And now in the time of Joshua, obviously there's no kind of normal scriptures or anything like that. But whatever revelation they had had recently, the revelation they had received, they were commanded to teach it to their kids at that point. And whatever works that God had done for Israel, they were supposed to tell their children. So it's important for us to share these things, not just the scripture, but also the things that God has done in our lives because our kids have a more difficult culture to grow up in now than any of us had. Now there are obviously some generations, you went away to war when you were 18, that's an incredibly difficult thing. But as far as normal culture, day-to-day culture, and our kids have it way more difficult than we did when we were growing up. Even the, the generation who's older than me did, had growing up. They have societal pressures now that, that I never had. They're dealing with things now, technology, thing, things they can access on their computer at a younger and younger and younger age. They have a much more difficult time now than we ever did. So it's important for us to kind of share those things with them. You know, many of our kids, many of your kids specifically, I know, man, they're going through a hard time. And not just with all this quarantine stuff, but just a difficult time altogether. They're going to go through hard times. Some some of them are going to wander for a season. And that's a hard thing to do. Hard thing to watch. But I believe that if you continue to pray for your kids, you continue to read scripture, you continue to draw close to the Lord, that God will use that wilderness wandering to bring them kind of to a place of want, a place of desire to serve God, to a place where they realize that they need God. So keep praying. It is not too late to pass on, to to, to successfully pass on the baton to the next generation. And letting go of control. And passing the baton is one of the most difficult things you can do. 
There are literally thousands and thousands of leadership transition books written uh, from, from, you know, a religious standpoint, from a secular standpoint. Uh, But unless we allow people who are coming after us to stand on our shoulders, then we will not see progress. And all of us have an influential ceiling. For some of us, that leadership ceiling is in the thousands. You can support thousands and thousands of people on your shoulders. For some of us, maybe it's one. The way we increase the potency of influence that we have, though, is to allow other people to stand on our shoulders, whether it's one or a thousand, people who may be able to carry a heavier load, a more full load than even we can. There are so many people in my life who gave me a table or gave me a seat at the table, rather, when I didn't feel ready. That they saw that it was crucial to the mission of the church to bring younger people to the table. They are guys who, who maybe, you know, you, you don't know most of these guys, and if you do, I'm glad that you do. Um, but they hold a special place in my heart because of their willingness to let me lead. And none of them are famous. Guys like Josh Lane. You know Josh? Probably not. Scott Vance. Don't know him. Craig Statton. Edizaki, Kurt Thielen, Matt Colomb, Tom Mercer, people who allowed me a seat at the table. We have to allow other people in the conversation in order to go further. There's no way around it. Imagine what it would look like if we put the next generation that is behind us, whatever generation that may be, maybe you're at the upper echelon of life, you're one of our more mature believers, maybe that generation below you is in the 50s and 60s. Or maybe you're of that kind of Jeff Milhon, Pastor Jeff Milhon generation. The generation behind you is the Peter Anderson generation. Or my generation, the generation that is behind us is those who are teenagers and, 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 stu- and kids right now. Whatever generation is behind them, if, if, if rather than um, looking at their shortcomings, if rather than criticizing them for their shortcomings, we spur them forward to greatness. What would the church look like if we taught them, if we loved them, if we gave them opportunities to learn and grow and fail and lead and succeed? What would the church look like at that point? Our church would be a machine that did nothing but pump out people who were wise and knew that those who came before them had their backs, were for them, and wanted to see the next generation fall in love with Jesus. And then in turn did the same thing. So the question is then, is who in the next generation are you holding up? Who are you saying, hey, get on my shoulders. Let me, man, let me spur you forward. Let me give you my wisdom. Oh, I walked that before. I was a young parent before. Let me tell you how I kind of coped with stuff. But hey, I'm also just going to come alongside of you and love you. You need some diapers? Let me go grab you some. Man, that baby kept you up all night. I'm so sorry. Can I come over and just maybe, can I just watch your baby for you and let you take a sweet two to three hour nap? We learned last week that's one of the most spiritual things you can do. How is it that you are putting the next generation on your shoulders? How are you teaching them? How are you loving them? I don't care if you're 110 like Joshua was when he died or you're 25. What are you doing to spur on the next generation? Because remember, church, the local church, each individual church is only one generation away from it dying. 
So we have to continue to focus on them and hand them the baton so they can sprint harder and further than we did in the first place. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, man, thank you um, for this example in the Bible. As, as, as tragic as the example is, that an entire generation did not know you because the previous generation fumbled the handoff with the baton. God, I, man, I pray that you would, you would go before us and allow us to recognize that it's our responsibility to spur on the generation behind us. That for people who are younger, maybe in their 20s and their 30s now, that they would actively seek out people who are more wise than they are. That they would seek out people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s who have lived more life, who probably have more faith, who have walked alongside other people, who have walked alongside you long, longer, God, and maybe deeper that they would seek out those people so they could speak truth into their lives and they could figure out how they can love God better sooner even than they did. And God, I pray for an older generation that they would at the same time seek out people who are younger than them. They would seek them out and love them well. That they would provide wisdom to them. That the wisdom wouldn't be critical, it would be wisdom out of love. They would come alongside to serve them. Just love them well, God. God, I pray that our church would be a machine that just pumped out generation after generation after generation of people who love you deeply. Because generationally, we care about one another. We love one another, and we recognize that every generation has a value. And we need to continue to seek that value in others. And maybe you're along online with us today and you've not yet said yes to Christ. I would invite you to just pray alongside of us right now. That you would, you would pray what we call the ABCs here. That you would say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I wake up every single day and I know that I'm sinful. I know what I'm doing is wrong and I know that it hurts your heart, God, to see me far from you. So I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But B, I believe that you sent your son to the cross for me. That Jesus died and conquered death on my behalf so I could be with you forever, starting today, and see that I would choose to follow you every single day because of how much I love you, because of how much you did for me, and because there's people in the next generation who's spurring me forward out of love and out of wisdom God, I pray that the next generation would know you better than I do because of me spurring them forward. I pray that we would all take that charge seriously today, Father. We love you. In your son's name we pray.